show me the news. And now, coming through your speakers and into your ears, it's the gaming podcast that you all know and love. With hosts Yoko and Samurai Panda, it's... Show me the news! How are you all today, Smash fans? something a little bit differently this week so here's what it is um you might be expecting a brawl debate this time around but see it's college finals time and things are really stressed out here at the show me your news department we've got a lot of work to pull together for our finals this week so what we're going to do is this is episode 42.5 i know it sounds very strange and basically what's going to involve in is i you know put out the word about a week ago that we're going to do this and we've had a few people reply to it, but basically we're doing fan reviews. Now, basically, you know, fans, you know, called dibs on certain games, they recorded waves and MP3s of them reviewing this game, and they sent it to me at dojopodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you're wondering, why didn't I get this uh, news earlier? Well, you probably should check out our fan site. It's been up and running, and it's wonderful. It's smyn.smashnexus.net should check it out. I've got a blog up and up and running, and it's pretty cool, actually. You should also join our forums, because the news is also posted there. And I know if you also listen to iTunes, we still have to get that uh, pulled together, but it should be very soon that our good friends at Major League Gaming will be uh, pulling that together for us. So hopefully you'll get the episodes back on iTunes as well. Um, but yeah, so let's go into the fan reviews, and we'll see you in a couple weeks for the next uh, Brawl debate regarding it'll be about Hacked Brawl. So we'll see how that goes. Here are the fan reviews. Uh-huh. Over ten years ago, game developer Rareware was a force to be reckoned with having produced a variety of critically acclaimed titles as a second party to Nintendo on the SNES and N64, such as the Donkey Kong Country series, Killer Instinct, and 007 Goldeneye. Looking to continue their success, Rare quickly got to work on their newest project, an N64 platformer in the same vein as Super Mario 64, known only as Project Dream. That game, after a series of tweaks and revisions, eventually emerged in June of 1998 as Banjo-Kazooie, a fairy tale inspired adventure in which cheerful Honey Bear Banjo and his wisecracking Breedle sidekick Kazooie go on an epic journey to rescue Banjo's sister Tootie from the evil witch Gruntilda. Following in Mario 64's illustrious footsteps, the title received universal praise for its brilliant writing, top notch music, tight controls, and overall ingenuity. Clearly, the folks at Rareware saw that the formula worked, so they were quick to follow up a mere two years later with a sequel, Banjo Tooie which expanded on everything the first game offered with new moves, bigger interconnected worlds, and even more hilarious dialogue. After that, though, 
The Banjo series took a page from its furry protagonist and entered into a state of hibernation, not having any major releases for the next several years aside from a few semi-forgettable GBA spin-offs. Eight years later, though, the now Microsoft-owned Rare has resurrected the Baron Bird in the full force for their latest masterpiece, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Much like the plot of Banjo-Tooie picks up two years after Banjo-Kazooie ends, Nuts and Bolts begins eight years after its predecessor. In the time since Tooie, Banjo and Kazooie have had no reason to go adventuring, so they've spent most of the time eating junk food and playing video games, making them fat and causing them to forget most of their moves from the previous games. After eight years of her disembodied skull bouncing, though, Gruntilda has managed to return to Spiral Mountain with a vengeance. Just as good and evil are about to collide, though, their clash is interrupted by the appearance of the Lord of Games, nicknamed Log, the almighty creator of all video games ever made. Apparently, he's sick of the two parties constantly at odds with one another, so he's throwing down the gauntlet. The winner of his challenge gets the deed to Spiral Mountain, the loser spends eternity working his video game factory. So, after restoring Banjo and Kazooie to perfect physical state and giving Grunty a robotic body, he transports them to his domain known as Showdown Town, where the game begins. Unlike past games in the series, which were primarily on-foot platformers, Nuts and Bolts literally throws a wrench into the formula with the addition of vehicle-based gameplay. When you start out in Showdown Town, Banjo and Kazooie receive a small number of parts, with the only vehicle they can build being a small cart capable of carrying things from place to place. As you buy more parts or collect crates containing them found throughout the town, you'll be able to build more and more fantastic creations at Mumbo's Motors, where returning character Mumbo Jumbo will guide you through the creation process. Or, if you're not feeling particularly creative, you can use your hard-earned musical notes to buy blueprints for pre-made vehicles, provided you have all the parts needed to build them. If you actually want to get into the heart of the creator, though, you'll find that the possibilities are nearly limitless. From essential parts like wheels, engines, and fuel tanks, to more functional pieces like wings, springs, and weapons, to even nonsensical accessories like rearview mirrors and googly eyes, you'll find everything you could possibly want somewhere around Showdown Town just waiting to be added to your vehicle. And provided you have the right parts, you can pretty much build whatever you want. Yours truly has actually built a working model of Metal Gear Rex, and it looks awesome. However, building something that looks good and something that's effective are two totally different things. You'll have to figure out how to best distribute weight and place parts to get the most out of your vehicle. So if you plan on building a 20 foot tall unicycle or a tank with a hundred gazillion weapons sticking out of the back, you might want to start reconsidering your plan, or there's a good chance your vehicle will end up crashing and burning. Literally in some cases. Showdown Town acts as the hub world from which you'll do most things such as building your vehicle, buying parts and blueprints, and searching for other items like parts, notes, and the ever elusive jigsaw puzzle piece. There's even an arcade where you can play former Minion Klungo's incredibly retrorific game, Hero Klungo Saves to World, for the chance to earn some extra notes. The main worlds, however, are another story. There's five different main worlds with multiple acts, ranging from the computerized Logbox 720, to the massive sports-themed Gigaseum, to Banjo-Land, a world literally built from pieces of worlds from prior Banjo games. Each one containing a variety of challenges for Banjo to complete, ranging from races to demolition derbies to even egg cooking challenges, and everything in between. Do a good job in these challenges and you'll be rewarded with notes, jiggies, and perhaps even a trophy or two. Collect enough jiggies and you'll be able to unlock more worlds to explore. Every world has a boss challenge where you must battle Grunty as well, and if you win, you'll receive a new part to make getting around Showdown Town a lot easier. One of the more interesting features the game has, though, is the inclusion of the legendary Stop and Swap, a scrap feature originally intended to allow special data to be transferred between the first two games and the N64. 
The feature has been revived to feature connectivity between nuts and bolts in the Xbox Live Arcade remake of the original. Collect the secret items in the XBLA game, and you'll unlock bonus content in nuts and bolts. The rewards aren't anything really special, but it's definitely cool to see this long-lost feature finally panning out after 10 years of waiting. Graphically, the game is stunning. Sure, it doesn't look quite as realistic as other games available for the console, but that wasn't its intention. Nuts and Bolts succeeds in creating a gorgeous, cartoony style, updating the visuals to match current standards while still retaining the edgy, almost polygonal look from the first two games. The environments are lovingly rendered with plenty of detail as well, to the point where you can see the cracks in individual pieces of tile and skid marks retained after breaking and sliding over an area. The water effects are gorgeous as well, both above and under the surface, capturing the visual sensation of being submerged exceptionally well. The audio side of things is top-notch too. The Banjo-Kazooie series has always been known for its outstanding music, and Nuts and Bolts is no exception. Both old and new music come together as part of the game's soundtrack, and unlike the midis previously used in the N64 titles, the score this time around is almost entirely orchestrated and sounds absolutely brilliant. The traditional goofy voice and sound effects return from past banjo games as well, which fans will be pleased to hear, although it might get a little irritating for those not used to it. There's no voice acting in the game aside from an introductory narration, with everything being told solely through text. While this approach has worked for past entries in the series, it'd be nice if future games would actually be so kind as to feature some voiceovers, considering how text-heavy this game is, especially given the problem with the text size. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The game is not without its faults, though. On very rare occasions, you might experience a bit of frame rate slowdown, a problem which has plagued the Banjo series since the beginning. It doesn't hurt things too much, but if it seems to continually happen to you, you may find yourself getting fed up pretty quickly. The loading times can be pretty bad, too. For those of you who experience the load times of the demo, expect loading in the full game to take around three times as long. The game also features very small text, which is difficult to read on anything less than the HDTV. Granted, Rare has promised to fix this with a future patch, but the fact that the problem exists in the first place is slightly disheartening, especially considering that we don't know when the update will be coming. Challenges can get kind of monotonous too, with a lot of them feeling rather similar to each other, and you'll eventually find yourself wondering, didn't I do this five times already? Even more so if you get stuck on those challenges and find yourself having to do them over and over and over in the hopes of getting the prize. You'll often find yourself creating new vehicles for each challenge, but many times you can get away with just making minor alterations to existing blueprints, moving a fair amount of the creativity from the whole experience. The vehicle controls can be a little wonky as well, and at least at first, you'll find yourself struggling to figure out how to get your creations to do what you want them to. Granted, it gets easier with time, not to mention better parts, but it certainly makes things complicated for people just starting out. Which brings me to my next point. While there's both online and offline multiplayer, people who just want to play a quick game will find themselves at a loss. Unless they've played before, they'll find themselves confused by the controls as well as regarding what works well for a vehicle and what doesn't, which means they'll have to go through a lot of trial and error trying to create a vehicle that runs properly, let alone a good one, and even then there's no guarantee that what they've built will be effective for certain challenges. On top of that, multiplayer only includes the blueprints and parts you've unlocked in single player, though sample vehicles are available for each type of challenge, so you'll want to amass a large stash of both in the main adventure before starting multiplayer, making the waiting period even longer. And let me just say that if people can't just immediately jump in and play right away, then it's not a very effective multiplayer mode. One last minor gripe. While this game is most certainly fun, playing through the XBLA version reminded me of how well the original formula worked, and I really wish they would have created a more traditional banjo game. 
Don't get me wrong, the concept between nuts and bolts is genius, and I'd love to see it expanded upon in the future, especially considering that the platformer genre is slowly dying out. But it was the first two games that brought most of the fandom together, and I know I'm not the only one who'd like to see Rare revisit this playstyle for a future iteration of the series, or at least a more even blend between the two playstyles. Overall, though, while it has its flaws, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is a totally solid package. All the style, humor, and charm of the series is retained while built around an innovative new concept that has truly proven itself. The game isn't for everybody, but if you're a fan of the series, of platformers in general, or if you're just looking for something new and unique, I highly recommend this game. After nearly 10 years, Banjo is finally back, and it looks like he's not going anywhere. Guh-huh? Hello SMYN, this is RoyMyBoy284, and I'm gonna be reviewing Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood. Okay, let's start with the story. In Dark Brotherhood, a group called the Marauders have attacked Sonic's world and kidnapped Knuckles, who has a significant role in the story. That should make SP happy. After rescuing Knuckles, the team assumes that, that this was Robotnik's plan. But as it turns out, the Echidna named Ix is the leader of the Marauders. I'm not going to give any spoilers, though. The story does get kind of complex, but you catch on eventually. Along with some plot twists and a new dark feel, you will never expect this from a Sonic game. 8.5. Let's talk graphics. Actually, this is the worst part of the game. The 3D elements are blocky, rough, and to tell the truth, just not very good. The stage environments are all 2D drawings that are kind of hard to distinguish where to go. Of course, most of the time you won't even notice unless it's right your face. And come on, it's a DS. Of course the graphics will suck. 6.9. Alright, I'd like you to listen to this song now I'm about to show you. just heard was the main theme for Dark Brotherhood. This is my favorite song in the entire game. There are also many songs that astonish me, but seeing as I'm not very interested with music and video games, you know, unless it's amazing, I can't really say anything else. Sorry. 8.9. Ah, uh, now for the best part, the gameplay. If you like using the stylus all the time, this is the game for you. The only button used is the start so you can pause yeah and you can do that with a stylus too but I digress when you approach an area where you need to perform a specific action a button appears you can either press the button with the stylus or press L to perform the assigned action in addition some moves can only be performed by certain characters for instance, flying, climbing, destroying obstacles, and going through loops are all special things that only some characters can do. Moving is simple. Touch the screen and the character will move where you are touching. In talking scenes, you can select different sentences to say in a true bioware fashion. 
Well, that's enough for the overall controls. Now, for the battle gameplay. When you encounter an enemy, you look to the battle screen. The four characters you selected must battle the encountered enemy. There are five options. Attack, power moves, items, defend, and flee. If you select attack, you can damage the enemy. There's no damage increasing combos like Paper Mario, but there is a random critical hit system. Power moves are basically your special attacks. After selecting a certain move, numerous circles will appear, and they must be touched with good timing. The better the timing, the stronger the move. These moves can also be leveled up by spending points. Items and defend are pretty self-explanatory, but flee is actually much different. In most RPGs, flee simply makes you run from, the, from battle. But in Dark Brotherhood, when you press flee, the party dashes away with the enemy in hot pursuit. The party must jump over the over the boxes, which you do by tapping the character and hit boost pads to escape. If the party hits too many boxes, the enemy will catch up and the battle will resume. Defeat all the enemies to be brought back to the overworld and out of the battle. So, what do I think of the gameplay? Well, let me spell it with a little 9.5. You're welcome. Well, I guess it's time to give a final opinion. Personally, I think it, this is an awesome RPG. And although it didn't surpass my expectations, I still loved it. And now, without further ado, my overall rating is... A solid nine! Well, that's my review. Remember, this is my first review, so cut me some slack. I'd like to thank Yoko and Panda for putting my review on SMLAN. It's an honor, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Anyway, see you later. Hey there, fans of Show Me Your News. This is SpinRape here to review Sonic Unleashed for the PS2 and the Wii. Now, Sonic has fallen on hard times. But is this game any different? Sonic the Hedgehog 2006 for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 was hyped up to be Sonic's big return. And it flopped. And was is considered by some the worst Sonic game ever made. But is this any different? Yes. But do improvements still need to be made to the series? Of course. Now without further ado, let's start the review. Here we go! Sonic games have never been known for their plots, and this game isn't any different, but it pulls off something that works for the franchise. Now, as an intro to the game, you're given a cutscene of Sonic and Eggman fighting in space. And it jumps it really jumps right into the action and Sonic gets to Eggman and puts him in a corner, but that's what Eggman wanted the whole time, as he planned to split the world into seven pieces for the seven continents and the seven chaos emeralds and the number seven. And this causes a transformation in Sonic that really caused a lot of skepticism for the whole game at the start, and that would be the Werehog. This causes Sonic to develop stretchy limbs and a hairy body and just Werehog-ish. It's still Sonic, but it doesn't seem like Sonic. Now, after that, you're introduced to your guide for the game, Chip. 
as he is later named. Now, Chip is actually a nice character. He's developed well and is actually involved in the story, unlike Omachao from Sonic Adventure 2 and more than Takal in Sonic Adventure 1. So, that's mostly all you need to know about the story, but it's nice to know that they really only brought in characters that were kind of necessary to the plot, so don't buy this game for the story. Now, we knew that going into the game that there would be two distinct styles of gameplay. The daytime Sonic stage where you're just rolling around at the speed of sound. You got places to go now. You gotta follow the rainbow. Yeah. So, you're just blazing through the the stages and it's a massive amount of fun with all these new mechanics that have been introduced that like the sonic drift which allows you to turn corners much more easily or not so much easily but it it makes the game faster and that's really what fans of the series want and people who play the game will want to see along with the sonic boost and the ring energy which go hand in hand the more rings you collect the more your ring energy meter goes up and you can initiate a sonic boost which obviously would make you go faster and then there's the final huge mechanic and that's the quick step the quick step allows you just to move side to side a lot faster and avoid obstacles a lot easier and this very seldomly is taken advantage of in the game so it's something to get used to they are really the high point of the game. If you like this game, it's probably true that you will like this part of the game right here. It's a joy, and it's what Sonic fans have been waiting for for quite a while. The sad part about it, though, is it doesn't utilize the engine Sega developed for this game for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 versions. The Hedgehog engine, which has seamless 2D to 3D and vice versa transitions which are still in this game but they really aren't that like the impact isn't made with them so for the Hedgehog engine that's why you buy the next gen versions if you want but that's a review for another time so in short with all these new in mechanics introduced the speed can get a little hard to control but it's not unbearable like another game of the series that we all know, Sonic 2006. <laughs> so, the daytime stages are a joy, and you will probably love them. The other half being the Werehog stages, which are based all on hand-to-hand -hand combat and platforming. And this is very hit or miss, as you'll either love it or you'll hate it. So, if you kind of like platforming, you may like it. If you like the beat-em-ups you may like it but to be honest it's it gets very repetitive pretty quickly just because of how long they are it really seems like there's so many more of these than the daytime stages which are loads of fun it there are the same amount if i'm not mistaken of nighttime stages as there are daytime stages the nighttime stages are just way longer which kind of sucks it the combo system is okay, and it's really just basic, and the leveling up system isn't really anything special at all. It's 
actually pretty bad when you look at it that way, and this is a mode they probably could have gone without. Is it really bad? No. If you can really just mix it up and enjoy the platforming and get past the sometimes just wonky controls, and you might like it, but to beat the game you'll have to just live with it. The other half being the Werehog stages, which are based all on hand-to-hand -hand combat and platforming, and this is very hit or miss as you'll either love it or you'll hate it. So if you kind of like platforming, you may like it. If you like the beat-em-ups, you may like it, but to be honest, it's it gets very repetitive pretty quickly just because of how long they are. It really seems like there's so many more of these than the daytime stages, which are loads of fun. It There are the same amount, if I'm not mistaken, of nighttime stages as there are daytime stages. The nighttime stages are just way longer, which kind of sucks. It The combo system is okay, and it's really just basic, and the leveling up system isn't really anything special at all. It's actually pretty bad when you look at it that way, and this is a mode they probably could have gone without. Is it really bad? No. If you can really just mix it up and enjoy the platforming and get past the sometimes just wonky controls, and you might like it, but to beat the game you'll have to just live with it. Two more things I feel I should touch on before I bring this review to a close. And one of them is the music. The music is fantastic. To be honest, I love the music in this game. It is so awesome. It it can get in your head easily. It's so catchy. It's It suits the levels. It's really pretty good. I, I love it, to be honest. And if you give them a listen, I think you might... They'll probably grow on you. It's awesome. Then the other one is what Sonic Review would be complete without the voices. Now, on my YouTube channel I used to make What If Ryan Drummond Was in Brawl videos, and I really don't care anymore about that whole situation, but Jason Griffith, I think, does a good job in this game. He's passable. I, I think he did he did a good job, I think. So can't really look forward to him sucking like you normally would. And I think he did a great job. The only thing I was kind of disappointed with is I couldn't hear Junichi Kinemaru. Sad face. Final thing to say. I really think the future is looking pretty good for the Sonic series. If they can keep up games like this with their daytime gameplay as a more prominent feature, I think the future is bright. I just wonder what Sonic thinks about it. Feeling good! That's good to hear. Well, as a final rating, I'm giving the game a 7.75 out of 10. Now, that seems like an odd rating, but I think 7.5 is decent, and it's better than decent, but it's not quite good yet. And I think the future is looking bright for 
the Blue Hedgehog, and if he makes a title with the Day Stages as prominent as they can be, then he will have a success on his hands for the first time in quite a while. Thanks for listening. Or go to www.youtube.com slash user slash Sonic Lucario or SpinRape's official YouTube channel and enjoy the rest of Show Me Your News. In Persona 3, FES, a group of high school students saves the world by breaking into school at midnight and faking suicide for an hour between 12 o'clock and 12.01. It's a lot better than it sounds, I promise. The game begins with you, a transfer student in 20 minutes into the future Japan, heading to your new dorm. On the way, the sky turns green and everyone else turns into a coffin. You soon learn that this is called the Dark Hour, an hour that occurs every night at midnight when time stops and almost everyone is unaware of. During this hour, your school, Gekokan High School, turns into a large, ominous tower called Tartarus. Within Tartarus are masked monsters called Shadows. It's up to you and your doormates to fight the Shadows with Personae. A persona is a part of your personality, your innermost self. You call the persona by using an evoker, a lookalike of a gun that is meant to inflict you with the mental trauma of being shot in the head. It's completely crazy, yes, but it actually works. Your goal is to find a way to get rid of Tartarus, the shadows, and the dark hour once and for all. However, the story takes several twists and turns along the way and ties into Greek mythology. It's full of symbolism, from the day that a boss is fought to the personality of a party member and all the way to every single persona. There's hundreds, by the way. The game alternates between two phases. During the day, you're a, high school, you're a high school student, going about his daily business. At night, you venture into Tartarus and explore the tower, fighting shadows along the way. During the day, time does not pass in real time, but it does pass based on your activities. You can only do one thing during the normal day, and at night, you choose between going to Tartarus and going back out to continue your activities. Among your activities are social links. Social links are vital to the game. You establish one by becoming friends with someone and strengthen, by, and strengthen it by hanging out with them. Social links are pretty much all about character development for NPCs. They're very interesting, and some of them have plot twists of their own. Each social link has ten levels. Each time, each time that you become better friends with someone, your social link levels up and becomes stronger. During a social link segment, you often will be given choices as to what to say or do with your friends. This will affect how much more they like you, and will also, and that will, in turn, affect how long it will take to level up your social link. Each social link has an arcana, which corresponds with certain personae. Personae with a strong social link will level up faster and become more powerful. One way or another, all of your daily activities lead back to social links, which in turn lead back to saving the world. The key way to obtaining new personae is through fusion. By fusing multiple personae, you can obtain new, more powerful personae. A new. I'm tripping over my words and decided to leave in all my mistakes. You guys better love this. Um, some fusions require as many as six different personae, most of which must be fused themselves. Thankfully, there is the Persona Compendium, which allows you to buy back any persona you previously had. Using the ultimate persona could mean spending two million yen in an hour of your life, but it yields a very satisfying result. Stop it. For example, to fuse Thanatos, you need a persona called Alice. But to fuse Alice, you need a persona called Natataishi, which can only be obtained by first fusing a certain persona with a certain move, which first needs another persona with another move, which first needs another persona with another certain move. 
The personae with certain moves aren't even part of the next fusion and are required only to make the process more tedious. Stop drinking my soda! It's honestly my biggest complaint in the game and is thankfully optional. Don't even get me started on Orpheus Telos, by the way. Ten times worse than getting Benefits. When in Tartarus, your goal is to go higher and higher. Every floor has stairs to the next floor, with bosses every 15 or so floors. Every floor is littered with shadows. If you strike them before they, they can see you, your entire party gets to attack before them. If the shadows strike first, they get to attack before your party. Elemental attacks are very important in the game. There are six elements and three physical attack types. If you attack an enemy's weakness, they'll be knocked down, and will have to waste their next turn getting up. If every enemy is knocked down at the same time, your party can attack all at once in a powerful all-out attack. Your enemies can also knock you down, although they can't do an all-out attack. Although, if one of your party members is knocked down, chances are they'll be knocked down again. You as the main character are able to change your persona, and thus change your elemental strengths and weaknesses. The strategy of the game comes in in choosing persona with ideal strengths and weaknesses, and yet still a decent moveset. This is where my script runs out, so expect me to start tripping over my words a lot more. You get a large cast of characters throughout the game, although you can only use four at a single time, so it becomes difficult to keep them all at a decent level. And there are some party members that you simply don't want to give up, such as Koromaru, the dog who uses a knife in battle. Yes, that's right. A dog with a knife. One of the worst parts of battle is, well, your party members. Even though they're so important and they help you out a lot, oftentimes you'll be screaming at the TV, You idiots! Why are you doing that? The party's AI is not that smart. It's probably worse than Nana's. However, although you become very frustrated by this at times, it thankfully will very rarely cause you to actually lose, and the game can still be fun, even with your fatally stupid party members. And don't take fatally stupid the wrong way. They don't, like, cause any like, deaths in the party or something like that. Except for when the, for when the story demands it. While the game features very fun and addicting gameplay, it, the graphics leave very much to be desired. Like most Japanese RPGs, it features very robotic movements for the 3D models of the characters, so this is nothing new, however. Although, the game features several anime-style cutscenes, but these are of low quality, at least in my opinion. They really don't look that high of quality, even to the older anime, that, like, before technology became advanced enough to, like, make making them look really good. In the expansion version of the game, FES, the new game mode features much better anime-style cutscenes, but considering this is only 30 more hours of gameplay compared to the original 80 hours, this it doesn't make up for much. On the other hand, the audio in the game is just simply amazing. The voice acting is really top-notch. I ha I've, you'll be hard-pressed to find a game anywhere out there with better voice acting, except maybe Persona 4 that's coming out in a few days. The music is... I, I love it. That's all I could say. It's really a shame, though, that, the, that almost the entire game takes place in the same few areas, so you won't be hearing new background music very often. Overall, the game is very addicting and very, very fun. The back of the box says that it was that GameSpot, that GameSpot gave it the award of the best RPG of 2007, and I'm going to have to agree with them. It, it was simply one of the best RPGs that I have ever played. In addition to the original Persona 3, there is also the expansion impact Persona 3 FES. You can buy FES without buying the original Persona 3 and still be able to play it. FES features new Persona, a new social link, a few, mo a few new bonuses here and there, and also an entire new 30 hours of gameplay. But 
I'm not going to go into that very much, because if you like Persona 3, you're going to like the new 30 hours of gameplay. If you don't like Persona 3, you're not going to like these new 30 hours of gameplay, so it's not really worth going over. Persona 3 is for the PlayStation 2 and is rated M for Mature. Persona 3 FES is currently available on Amazon for about $30. Buy it now and enjoy it. This has been a Darker Eye Review. So what more of a reason do you need to go to the new Show Me Your News community at smyn.smashnexus.net slash community and go join the forums and talk with a whole bunch of other Show Me Your News fans? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Sword Hunter and I have a little group, duo, band, I guess you could call it, called Dual Theory. And if you remember a past episode of Show Me Your News when there was just a song at the end and you're like, I have no idea what this frickin' song is. Well, that was actually Sword Hunter and I. And... In the new section of the forums called Cafe Musique, uh, we've posted our four past albums, I guess you can call, can call that. So if you're looking for some new music and uh, stuff from myself and Sword Hunter, well, you got to go to the forums, check it out, and uh, search for Dual Theories albums, because we're pretty damn sweet, if I do say so myself. Thanks for enjoying this brief episode, and we'll be back next week, or the week after, probably the week after, because it'll be Christmas break for the... Brawl debate discussion on Hacking Brawl. Until then, we'll see you next time here at Show Me Your News.